Welcome listeners. Welcome listeners. You're listening to the Deeds in the Desert. The place where real estate investors tune in for the latest news and available investments at Ignite Funding. If you're on the hunt for a low effort, passive income stream, then turn up that volume and pull out the hammock as we get ready to feed you your weekly dose of real estate investing insights. Welcome back to another episode of Deeds in the Desert. Today, we have another episode with Local Homes, and joining us is Ryan Lance, co-owner of Local Homes. Local Homes is one of Ignite Funding's borrowers, and they've been working with us since 2015. And since January 1st of 2023, Ignite Funding has funded 38 loans for Local Homes, totaling $140 million. Interviewing him will be Pat Vassar, Director of Underwriting here at Ignite Funding. So welcome, guys. Ryan, appreciate you stopping by from uh, Colorado to come to this awful weather here in Las Vegas. Looks very, very similar to when I took off in Denver. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you know, today I just kind of want to go over your mindset, where we're at today in the overall uh, economy and more specifically the real estate in Denver, in Colorado Springs, where a vast majority of your projects are. So if you don't mind, let's let's get this ball rolling. I love it. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. So why Colorado Springs? Why are most, actually all of the loans that we have with you right now under Gray's development in Colorado Springs? There's, there's something special to that market? So um, it kind of, I think, just happenstance that all of our loans with you guys are, are in Colorado Springs right now. We obviously maintain a large presence uh, in the Denver market as well. Um, but we do really like the Colorado Springs market. Um, specifically, we like the north side of Colorado Springs. Um, that north side with the improvements that have been done to I-25 um, between um, Colorado Springs and Denver, the north side really kind of functions like a commuter community to um, some major job corridors on the south side of Denver, specifically the Denver Tech Center. And that's a pricing, it's a home sell at a, at a, at a lower price point in the north Springs market than they do to kind of that south end of the Denver uh, market. and so. It's been a good a good home for us. You know, a lot of the buyers there, people that buy our houses, have a family dynamic where something's pulling them into Denver and in the Colorado Springs market, whether it's, you know, jobs or or education or um, or what have you. So, it's really a nice middle ground for those folks. And again, it sells at maybe a twenty percent or so a discount to a home that's you know thirty five or forty minutes up the street in Denver. So. It's been a good spot for us. And that 20-ish percent discount that they're selling for in northern part of Colorado Springs, how does that fit into your overall business model? Yeah, good question. So when Dave and I started the business in 2012, um, we were just kind of coming out of the recession and it was early in the home building recovery. And we wanted to provide an option for folks that were in locations where we could provide a really nicely appointed home at an attainable price point. And in the early days, we were able to do that in single family homes. As the market uh, did what it did, um, and you know, in the last couple of years, even we've seen a 40% increase in home prices or north of that, you know, the strategy needed to change if we were gonna make good on that commitment that we made, you know, well-appointed homes um, at attainable prices. And so we were kind of faced with two options in order to do that. One was to kind of the drive to you qualify, right? You go to the outlying areas, and in theory, you can produce homes at lower price points. In Denver, that's not necessarily the case, but that's one strategy. Or the other strategy was um, to create that attainable value through density. 
Um, and so we started focusing on townhomes and condos and to get the price point down. And Colorado Springs really gave us our first opportunity to do that. Uh, this was in 2000 and maybe 14 um, and a community called Promontory Point was our first townhome community down there. And so it was right where we still sell in that Briargate submarket. Um, we had a really good success there, kind of created a name for ourselves in that submarket. And and we've done, you know, hundreds and hundreds of houses down there since. Where is that price point that you're selling at compared to the overall market? So the market in Denver, the new home sales price in Denver is somewhere around $780,000 for a new home, which is just a staggering number. Our product um, and homes in the um, Colorado Springs market in Denver, just as kind of combined, I suppose, um, we're selling at around $440,000 as an average sales price. So we're not quite 50% of the average sales price of the, of the new home price, but pretty close. And mm -hmm. we feel really good about that. So does that mean your your average buyer is in a, a first time home buyer or en new entry into the home home buying experience? Yeah, that's a good question, and that that was kind of our thesis when we started was we're going to provide quote unquote entry level housing. And so, Denver's a really active market. Colorado Springs is a really active market in terms of the people that live there. And so everyone's going outdoors, they're fishing, they're hiking, they're doing a lot of the outdoorsy stuff. And as a result, our population is pretty is, is active and not afraid of scare of stairs. And so we did all this analysis and study, and then we thought for sure we're, we're designing these homes for first-time home buyers, um, young professionals, you know. And instead, what we've ended up with was about a 50-50 split between true move-down buyers. You know, kids moved away, they sold their homes, they're not afraid of stairs because they're doing the 14ers, you know, that we talked about before. Um, they're doing, they're, you know, they're doing these on the weekends. And so to climb a flight or two of stairs isn't a big deal to them. So we literally do. We sell about 50% to kind of, you know, folks that are earlier stage in their lives. And we sell the other half to, you know, folks that are that are empty nesters and people are moving out and they're just trying to trying to get their overall, um, you know, stretch their dollar, so to speak. Absolutely. Is that the segment of the market you anticipate staying in for quite some time? We really like that segment of the market. It, it provides a much needed product and price point to the market that's really underserved. So we like that. Um, the other thing that we really like about it, Pat, is that in a market, it gives us some insulation from market, market movements. So in a market where we're experiencing right now, where it's contracting to some extent, we've got people that would love to live in a single family home in that $780,000 house, but they can't afford it with today's interest rates. And so what those folks end up doing is they start looking at townhomes. You know, they need three bedrooms. They want to, you know, they need an office den or, you know, a Zoom room as we call them now. They need something. And in our townhomes, we can provide that to them at a price point that's 25 or 30% less. And so in a contracting market, we've got people kind of coming down the food chain and in a market that's doing better, lower interest rates or what have you, um, we've got people coming out of apartments and into um, our townhomes and product, uh, sorry, our townhomes and condos. And so we kind of like that accordion effect as the market moves, we've got buyers on both sides of it. Um, whereas if you're selling homes for a million plus, you, you get up into those higher price bands, you just got kind of one, one buyer profile right. looking at you. Got it. Now, previously you talked about home prices have escalated about 40% in the past few years. How does that translate into your overall cost increasing during that time mm -hmm. and maybe even profit margins during yeah. that time as well. Yeah, there was definitely through that time frame, um, let's call it 2020, you know, through really 2022, 2020, you know, middle of last year, call it. Um, there was definitely some parity with the um, home price value run up along with the cost run up. I would tell you that I think um, I think people would agree that in aggregate, uh, home values went up more than our costs did. Good. So as a builder, we had higher margins during that time. 
um, which was a bit of a silver lining. That that one piece was great. There was tons of challenges, supply chain challenges, really protracted construction timeframes. It was it was a really tough time to be a, be a home builder. Um, but from a margin perspective, just in, in isolation, we definitely made outsized margins in those projects. Great. How do you correlate uh, today's higher interest rates to being in an attractive price point? Obviously, with six sevens mm-hmm. on the interest rate side is a little bit different from a monthly payment standpoint when it comes to maybe threes and fours that we uh, were fortunate to get accustomed to over the past decade or so. Mm-hmm. How have you mitigated some of that risk and how is that challenge really correlated into maybe higher costs for you or slower sales or, or how has that really translated and, and affected you guys? That's a really good question. And it's been a really fluid um, experience um, at different times. You know, so in, again, we've had crazy cost run-ups. Um, we've had slower sales. We've had now in the past, you know, over the last, you know, from May of last year through call it December, um, certainly through November, the sales environment was really anemic. We went from, give that some context, we went from selling you know, 40 plus homes a month to roughly 10, you know, and scrapping for those 10. And now it feels like maybe the market's normalizing a little bit. People are kind of getting used to these these little higher interest rates or higher interest rates. And uh, and so sales, you know, from January through today, it just the market's kind of coming, coming back a little bit. We're selling now. This month, I'm expecting to sell 30 houses um, this month. And so underneath those high level numbers, though, is how, how are we getting those? How are we getting those sales? And being creative with our with our incentives, um, you know, margins are certainly taking a hit. Um, we're discounting houses. The discounts can look like creative financing opportunities for buyers. So, we're buying what we call forward-looking commitments. We'll buy a tranche of debt at t- you know at today's prices, call it seven percent you know interest rate. We can buy a tranche of debt um, that'll be good for sixty days, and we can buy it at a three point eight seven five percent interest rate fixed for thirty years. Um, and so we can offer that to home buyers. That's super expensive to buy that. Right. Um, and so a buyer comes in, it's like, hey, would you rather have a 3.875% interest rate fixed for 30 years, which we have, or would you rather have 7% discount on the home price, right? And they can kind of pick. And so as an industry, we've been kind of lowering our prices in our market um, to find traction. And so there's been maybe a 7 or 10% um, price adjustment in the, in the kind of greater Denver MSA. Um, and now I think as a market, we're starting to see, you know, starting to see some sales again. How do you see higher interest rates uh, lasting through the end of this year and 2023 and into the future? Is this going to be our new normal? I know you don't have a crystal ball. I wish ball, I knew. I wish I knew. How, how do you, do you see uh, home buyers accepting these new higher rates as a new normal? And how yeah. does that correlate into your pricing points, uh, price points going forward? Yeah, so in my experience in the industry, I would tell you that it, it historically has taken about 90 days for a market to kind of get for the for, as interest rates increase, about 90 days for the buyer to or the consumer to say, okay, I, we're, those were those were great times. I understand we're not in those markets anymore, and kind of adjust to the new normal. What's been challenging for us with these with these kind of um, with these interest rate increases over the last nine months is every month there's a new normal. Right. You know, and so that 90 day clock just felt like it kept resetting and resetting all year last year. And so now I feel like the buyers are starting to think it's we're, we're in a six percent environment at seven. I think it's really challenging. And at five, we can run a really nice business. Six is kind of feels to me like the break point. You know, if we're in the six is six and a half, six and three quarters, people can kind of get used to that. Um, seven plus has been we've seen that when it tips over seven, traffic goes down significantly. 
when we dipped into the fives earlier this year, high fives, we had really good traction. And then the sixes, we've been kind of all scrapping to, for a piece, you know, piece of the table. So I know that um, based on my experience and what's happened, predicting the future, um, I don't know. You know, I think, um, you know, certainly in the market that the Fed's doing what they need to do right now to try and try and hold off the inflationary um, environment that we're living in and bring us back to normal normalcy there. And they're on purpose increasing the rates to slow the economy down. And it's, it's working to some, I mean, it's working. I think what we experienced this week was, you know, kind of an unforeseen um, unforeseen uh, incident with the bond market um, doing what it did and how it impacted the banks. And so my guess is we're going to see slower interest rate increases through the rest of the year. I think, um, you know, the when you look at the 10-year treasury and the, and the two-year, um, certainly those those curves are starting to, to tighten a little bit. So I think interest rates will still, you know, it'll be a volatile environment, but my guess is we're going to stay in the six range and maybe maybe come down into the fives because I think people are going to be scared of these banks failing, right? We don't, and so I'm not exactly sure how that's going to go, but I hope it stays in the sixes. You know, if we dip down to the fives, that'd be great for our business. Sevens and eights are hard. Yeah, and with the Fed's kind of slowing down, if not stopping their rate increases, that's got to bode well for for uh, mortgage rates in the future and yep. more specifically to your business going forward. Yeah, it's just been a crazy week, man. On Monday, we had banks failing, um, one of which we do some business with. And so that was like we were scattering, trying to figure out exactly what that means. And thankfully, they're going to be fine. Um, and then today, <laughs> we're like now with all the press is like, hey, this is going to be great for housing after all. And so it's got a little bit, little bit of a whipsaw. Um, but it makes sense to me, right? I mean, if there's if we can get to that new normal where people can expect a six and a quarter, a six, a five and three, eight, something like this, or sorry, um, five and five, eight, something like that, the market will normalize. And then we can start selling houses, right? It's just this this turbulent market uh, buyers don't like. As far as uh, you personally, uh, you obviously you're in the home building realm and land development, land uh, acquisition, entitlement development. Have you always been in real estate? And do you currently invest your outside money in real estate as well? I do, and I've been, yeah. So my, my career started um, in the early 2000s. Um, and I spent my entire career in, in home building. And uh, or and or real estate development, and so I do. And for me, you know, it's just what I know, you know, and I like to invest in what I know and what I have a what I have a pulse on, and you know, and, and relationships in. And so, um, so I do. I invest heavily in our our own projects. In fact, um, Dave and I, my business partner in both of the companies, have never taken a meaningful distribution of the home building business. We just want to grow a really solid, financially stable, local home building company. Pun intended. Um, in Denver. <laughs> And so we just keep reinvesting over the years, and that's what we will continue to do. So even with profits earned, you still even dabble in real estate on the side as well. So our investors, uh, you, you know, should be rest assured that you're putting your money where your mouth is, not only keeping money in local homes, but also the, the money you do take out, also getting involved in other real estate ventures. We do, yeah. So we're looking at, um, Dave and I are investing in um, some apartment buildings that we're looking at doing. Um, we actually have a loan with you guys on a 67 unit deal in Denver um, that we're real excited about. And so I think being really selective on the locations that you go to, the price point that you're gonna be bringing your product to market, whether it's for rent or for sale is critical. Um, I think understanding who your buyer is or your renter you know, is and making sure that you have the little things that they want in today's market that we can really separate your product from from your competition. Um, and so I think if you're checking, checking those boxes and really being careful with your strategy, certainly there's, there's money to be made. Great. Since your your entire career has been on the real estate side of things, you and I, you know, have been uh, 
talking to each other since, oh, actually, I don't even know when. When was that? Maybe 2000 and... 12, 13, 14, mm-hmm. 10? 2012, I think. 2012. And we originated our first loan with you in 2015. Mm-hmm. Since then, we've done you know hundreds of millions of dollars with you. Why, why come back to us? Why not go to a traditional bank? Yeah, so I, I am a, that's a good question. Uh, that's a good question. And we've known it. That's shocking when you think about how many years that is all of a sudden. <laughs> I actually didn't really put that together no. until I started saying we that. Probably that's probably both had hair when we started this thing. <laughs> Um, I, um, really, uh, enjoy the process, P- Pat, with you guys. I mean, it's been, we've been on, I don't know, dozens, 50 plus loans probably together. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I'm just, I'm a relationship guy. I've always done what I said I was going to do. You guys have always done what you said you were going to do. And when something came up or was there, there was a blind spot in a deal, the market didn't cooperate. There was, a, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, we missed something in a document, right? We just, it's, we just sit down and we work through it and, um, we're, we both approach it very partner-like. To me, that means that means the world. You guys have always done what you said you were going to do. And so for me, is there cheaper money out there? Sure. You know, or is there other alternatives? Uh, yeah, there are. Um, but f- I, again, you show up, you know, and I couldn't, I couldn't ask for, for more than that, right? And the first deals are always the hardest to get done and negotiate the documents. And, mm-hmm. and we got into a place where we can kind of rinse and repeat these things for the most part. Um, and I just really appreciate the partnership and, um, you know, and we've, we've, uh, I mean, you've been fundamental to the development of, of both Gray's and local. Um, and we're appreciative for that opportunity and, and want to pay back with loyalty and, and, you know, and a commitment to doing business with you guys. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's we're not blinded by the fact that you have a multitude of different options out there, traditional banks, other lenders, other private money lenders, other joint venture partners. And you, you've kind of stuck with us when even cheaper money was to be found, uh, when we couldn't come down our rates as much as other people did. And uh, you know, stuck with us. So we we truly yeah. appreciate that, and en- have enjoyed you know these hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. that we've done together since uh, 2015, and look forward to another decade plus okay. going forward. Agreed. And I, I will say, as you know, we have other lending relationships, certainly. Absolutely. Um, but I also think it's important to like what we just experienced this week with this turbulence in the banking industry to maintain private lending relationships, even though we don't need to from a financial perspective. To maintain those relationships is important to us. Um, if the market, you know, if, if our bank had failed, you know, um, I would have called you right now and say, hey, Pat, we're stuck in a, in a pinch here. We've got these 75 houses that are under construction that need a new loan. Can you help us out? And I know I could count on you in that environment. You Absolutely. Know? And so there's that, there's value to me in that. So I think a lot of times people look at a company like Ignite and they think, well, those, those borrowers, you know, can't go anywhere else to get that kind of money. And that is not the case, right? We can go a lot of places. We do have a lot of lending relationships. We've got, you know, $250 million plus um, banking relationships. Um, and and while we have access to those dollars, there's always a place, in my opinion, for a private lender, a good private lender that can help you through a pinch or help you through different, different times. So appreciate and that. While talking about a pinch, you know, what has kind of been the biggest pinch that you've come across either uh, in your previous life working for a publicly traded home builder or as an owner of a pot, uh, privately held home building company? What is some of the biggest challenges you guys, you know, have had to overcome? As a company? Unless you want to get onto the personal side and talk about those challenges as well. But yes, yeah, well, so this will be the- a long podcast. <laughs> uh, um, I think... Um, the most challenging part of the home building company has been, I think, developing a, ma- a management team over the years that could both support 
what we were currently doing and help us grow to where we wanted to go, right? Because you're constantly hiring for today's needs, but being able to say, okay, this person's really awesome today, but could they take us to the next spot, right? And we've been really fortunate in most cases um, that the people have been able to grow with us. We've got an unbelievable management team in place right now, which we're super grateful for. But that's been that's been really challenging. How many employees do you have on the home building side as well as on the Gray's development side? Um, so Gray's is a, is a small company. We use contractors for everything that we do on Gray's. So we were a team of five or six on the Gray's side. Um, and the home building business hovers around 70 employees. Okay. Mm-hmm. On the home building side, do you use mostly third-party subcontractors? Do you have any uh, in-house subs? We don't. We self we don't self-perform anything. Okay. Um, so we sub everything. We're the general contractor on the projects. Do you always GC your own projects? We do. Okay. To date, we have. Yeah, I guess we do self-perform a couple functions to some extent. Um, so I take that back a little bit. I was thinking more on the construction side. We have in-house architecture. Oh, okay. Which we do a lot of work on, and we just wanted to control that, and we, we like the control that, that that gives us some, you know, we can take some cool design ideas that we've seen somewhere, and we can implement those quickly, and or we can take our architecture team with us to go meet with a land developer and talk about their vision for the project and how they would like to see, you know, their entrance of their community look, which we're fortunate in one case, a um, really cool project that we have coming up called Lyric. Um, but. And we work collaboratively with the developer there. So to be able to take our architecture team to that meeting and say, hey, let's see what, talk to us about the vision, about the theming for your community. And then we can just go right back to the office and start working on it. So it gives us the ability to be nimble. But but outside of that, Pat, we we, uh, we don't self-perform anything. Gotcha. And how people? How can uh, some of our listeners find you guys? Do you have a website? Are you online anywhere? We do. So um, localhomes.com, which is L-O-K-A-L uh, homes.com, um, is the best place to find us uh, on the internet. Perfect. And Final thoughts, how many units have you guys done um, maybe in the past two years and how many do you expect to do in the next two? Yeah, that's a good question. So we we had a big milestone last year, which you were, guys were a big part of. And unfortunately, we didn't bring you into the celebration, regrettably. Uh, thank you for uh, that uh, invitation. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but we closed our 2000th house uh, last year, Wow, um, which was pretty cool as a business. Um, and so last year we ended up closing around 200, uh, 200 I'm sorry, around 350 homes. Um, this year we're going to kind of have a flat year and hopefully end up right around the same figure, um, which would be good. Focus on just kind of letting the dust settle through the pandemic and 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 kind of getting our processes back in line and working through some of the remnant challenges that uh, that still exist. So it could be a really good year, successful year. We're excited about it. Hopefully some of this turbulence is behind us. And where do you see yourself in the next couple of years? Are you going to grow from that 315 number? Yeah. So with measured growth, I mean, we really like our strategy and the segment of market that we're playing in. And, and um, you know, home building in Denver um, is turning into home building like California, right? Where I know exactly what we're going to do over the next three years, because if we don't have the land that we're looking at today, it's not going to happen, right? It takes a while to get stuff done. So 2023 is going to be, again, kind of a flat year uh, as it was last year, right around $200 million in revenue. Uh, 350 units or so. And then next year, 2024, will be a little bit of an uptick in mid fours. And then we should be in the mid fives, five and a quarter or so um, in 2025. Great. Yeah. And you already have the land we basis for that, right? Yeah, we do. We got the land in the in the pipeline. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming in today. Uh, you and, and uh, Joe Biden were in town at the same time. I don't know who followed who, but I appreciate you coming in. <laughs> we, were, we were. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this week on Deeds in the Desert, where short-term investments meet long-term investors. We hope you enjoyed the content so much that you share it with all your friends. Who doesn't like learning about passive fixed income, right? 
Still hungry for more education? Visit our website at ignitefunding.com. Or if you're ready to take the leap and start investing, give us a call at 702-761-0000 and schedule a free investor consultation. 